Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our special summary message from the book of 2 Thessalonians. We're going to begin by reading from a key verse from that book in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today. So let's begin reading in verse 7 of chapter 2 of the book of 2 Thessalonians. Paul writes this. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So we want to review this uh, book in uh, the way in which it's laid out according to chapter by chapter. Now, some books, uh, the outline itself uh, is slightly different, or at least the pattern that we see in the, in the scriptures or the pattern we see in the, uh, the books themselves sometimes do not uh, lend uh, uh, toward the chapter divisions. Uh, sometimes those, those chapter divisions actually interfere with seeing the pattern or the context of, of the author. And yet, uh, uh, in, in this particular case, uh, they coincide quite nicely. And so chapter one, we have put this title over it, and it says uh, it's dealing with uh, persecution, waiting with courage. Now, chapter two uh, talks about prophecy and watching with composure, and and it includes at least three subjects there, uh, being gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then being unalarmed by the day of the Lord, and finally being saved through the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, then chapter three is itself a, uh, a continuation of the same theme, you might say, but also a, uh, a, an ex- exhortation, and that is it's toward the practice, that is the working with commitment, and that's chapter three. But uh, in order to get to the review, let's go back first of all to chapter one and verses six through eight, where Paul writes this. He says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out, excuse me, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this congregation is facing some very hostile territory, you might say, in their own culture, in their own city, and um, the idea of preaching the gospel of Christ uh, attracts the attention of many who want to destroy that message and want to destroy the, the impact that Jesus is having upon their culture or upon the people in that city. And so uh, this particular uh, congregation at Thessalonica, uh, it, it got evidently uh, very fierce and they uh, it didn't get better. And in fact, it got worse. And that's, that's what's uh, very difficult for Paul to write and address. And some of them began to doubt. And some of them not only began to doubt, they, they began to be influenced by some false teaching or false 
ideas that uh, crept into the uh, congregation and crept into having some influence among some at least. And that's the whole reason why Paul is writing this letter to that particular church. And so uh, Paul wants to reassure them that in the end, now it may not come immediately, but in the end that God will provide justice for those who are being persecuted. The persecutors themselves will have to face the eternal God with the work that they have done against the gospel of Christ, against the preaching of Christ, against the person of Christ, and against... uh, uh, the servants of Christ. And so those who are, uh, have committed these acts of oppression or abuse or, or physical violence or injustice or any number of persecutions, it may be as small as you might say as mockery, and yet it may uh, be as large as martyrdom. Either way, uh, Paul wants this, these believers to know that uh, they will face or they themselves will uh, be uh, rectified, that God will rectify these things and he will punish those afflictors. And it says that uh, that Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven. This is a particular work of Christ where he reveals himself from heaven and uh, will deal re- with retribution. And that's what is said there. The, the Greek word uh, for revealed from heaven is the word that we're quite familiar, familiar with uh, in our culture, perhaps, uh, especially in books or movies or, or other kinds of things. Uh, we are familiar with the term apocalypse. Apocalypse. Uh, that happens to be the Greek title over the book that we're familiar with that uh, we call the book of Revelation. Uh, but the, the word itself, the term in its origins, uh, do not refer necessarily to all the judgments and all the other uh, violent things that may take place on the earth during uh, those final years. Uh, the, the term itself actually re- refers to the revealing, and that's the important part to uh, to take away from the book of Revelation or anything else, that Jesus Christ will one day not only come to this earth, he will reveal himself to the entire earth, and that is called the apocalypse. And there, there may be other things associated with that revealing, and those are the things we latch on to, you might say, emotionally. But uh, uh, technically speaking, the term refers to the revealing of the Lord Jesus. And uh, that's behind the uh, the name of the book of Revelation itself. In fact, Matthew twenty four verse thirty is where he uh, he also quotes from Daniel seven verse thirteen. And uh, Jesus says there in Matthew twenty four verse thirty, and he says, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Now there are other signs that might pre uh, uh uh, preview that, but uh, essentially what Jesus is saying there, uh, the the greatest sign of Jesus' coming is his coming, because he will reveal himself there. And uh, that is uh, to say uh, a complete contrast between something else that's about to happen, and that's what uh, some people have called the rapture, and other people have have mocked the that idea uh, by saying that the New Testament 
Testament doesn't teach the rapture, and uh, and yet uh, that depends on what translation you're using. Because what I've been told is that in the uh, Latin version, the the verb or the word for being caught away or uh, taken away or removed, that word in the in the Latin is raptura. And so that's where that term comes from. And there is a catching away that's to take place. And, and Paul doesn't talk about that necessarily until chapter 3. But uh, there is a contrast uh, between these two events. The one is the catching away of the saints, and the other is the, the, uh, the coming and the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he's when he comes back to the earth. And um, so those are two separate events, and and uh, yet many people try to confuse them, or maybe they they uh, they want to try to blend them together, and yet uh, they are uh, uh, what I believe is two separate things, uh, because the one, he uh, Christ comes in the air, and we are caught up together with him, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Uh, and he comes comes for his saints. That means we are gathered to him in the clouds, and so we will be with him there. Uh, and then uh, uh, that particular event is unknown in the Old Testament. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 uh, uh, refers to that. Uh, it's not preceded by any signs, and uh, it's called the day of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 14, Philippians 1, 6, and uh, verse 10 as well. It's called the day of Christ. That's a totally different name than the other event. Uh, it is, uh, for believers, it is a blessing, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.18. It, it, it happens in the twinkling of an eye, according to 1 Thessalonians, uh, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. It involves the uh, the bride, the, the church, we call her, and that is those believers that are members of, of Christ's body that have been placed into his his. Uh, 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 his body, his church, his bride. And uh, that's according to uh, John 14, verses 1 through 4, as well as 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Then it says that Christ comes as the bright and morning star to the church, to his bride, according to Revelation 22, verse 16. But in the revelation itself, when he actually comes back to the earth, that is a different work. That is a different uh, uh, set of circumstances, you might say. Uh, he comes to the earth, according to Zechariah uh, chapter 14, verse 4. He comes with his saints, not just for his saints. He already did that. He came for his saints uh, at the catching away. Now he comes with his saints at his revelation. That's First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, as well as Jude, verse 14. And this event is predicted in the Old Testament, referring to the Messiah coming back to the earth or coming to the earth to set up his kingdom. Psalm uh, 72, as well as Isaiah chapter 11, as well as Zechariah chapter 14, all deal with the Messiah returning to the earth and setting up his throne yeah, over the nation of Israel and all nations. Uh, it is it is 
an event that is proclaimed by signs, according to Matthew 24, 29, and 30. Uh, The day of the Lord is the title that's given to the revelation. That's separate from what we we have uh, referred to earlier as the day of Christ. But the day of the Lord, Paul himself itemizes it in in, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This involves not blessing, but judgment upon the earth and the people of the earth and those who have rejected Christ and, and, and especially upon this lawless one that he talks about in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, this is a visible work of Christ. The nations will see him. The people of the earth will behold him when he comes. The nation of Israel will behold him. According to Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, Matthew chapter 16, verses 20, uh, verse 27. Also, uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse uh, 30. This involves Israel and the nations in judgment. Uh, Christ will gather them for judgment, according to Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 1, through uh, chapter 25, verse 46. The whole uh, panorama of that, uh, that revelation, that revealing of Christ when he returns to the earth and the judgment upon uh, the Jewish people as well as the Gentile nations take place according to uh, that particular sermon on the mount, you might say, and a sermon on the, that, is, uh, that he gave in his last days. Uh, and then finally, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, Christ comes as the son of righteousness and healing in his wings. Well, we'll be back right after this break. in a special session, a special episode where we are reviewing and recounting and and giving a a summary of the book of 2 Thessalonians. So right now, let's turn turn to chapter 2, where some of these things we talked about in chapter 1 begin to be itemized and categorized and uh, examined more thoroughly, you might say. Let's let's begin reading in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where Paul writes this. Uh, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composer, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his, uh, takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So, 
there, Paul itemizes the fact that there is a, an event that, uh, that uh, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ now, that they are the ones that are going to be caught up um, and gathered to him in the air. And yet uh, uh, there is a coming, a revealing of Jesus Christ where he returns to the earth to judge the persecutors, to judge the offenders, to judge the oppressors, to judge the nations that, that have stood against his gospel, stood against his truth, stood against his word. He will come in judgment in that day. And so Paul seems to be intent on uh, making sure that the believers that he's writing to uh, are assured about their role, and yet uh, that the truth of Jesus's coming is also explained in quite a bit of detail. And so that's why he he covers in verse 1 our gathering to him. But in verse 2, his return to the earth, uh, uh, we shouldn't be disturbed. Uh, we shouldn't be disturbed by anybody uh, because, because God holds us in his hands. And uh, yet it says, uh, let no one deceive you anyway, because the day of the Lord isn't going to come, he says, until the apostasy comes first. That's one thing. And then the man of lawlessness is revealed. So this man of lawlessness, this, this key figure who seems to come from the Roman Empire that is renewed or rebooted in some form, some shape or fashion, and uh, and he comes from that particular empire that has died. Uh, dominated Israel before, and evidently, through his leadership, uh, it will dominate Israel once again. And uh, and yet, uh, when he is revealed, it's the same word here. It's the term apocalypse. He will be revealed at the proper time. And evidently, that is the precursor of Jesus's return to the earth in judgment of him and all those who follow him. So that is uh, the distinction that Paul seems to be intent upon making here, that uh, that they are not to be concerned or, or disturbed by somebody saying that the day of the Lord has begun because there are certain things that has to play have to play out first. And first of all is the apostasy. Well, what's interesting is this is in in still in what we would call New Testament Christianity. So there's not been enough time for there to be any apostasy necessarily. This is the time not only of revival in many cities, of drawing people with the gospel, of calling people into congregations and planting churches in various cities and places, but uh, uh, but persecution is breaking out, and so the true believers are actually uh, uh, thriving in that particular uh, environment uh, because they are isolated from the culture at large, and they are uh, finding their true commitments and their true loyalty to the Lord Jesus, even when he's absent from them, uh, except, of course, by the Spirit of God. And so uh, they are enduring this, and they are thriving in that uh, atmosphere, and there's not been enough time for there to be anything characterized as an apostasy away from the faith, except maybe for a few people who who, uh, weren't believers to begin with, and they slipped back into other things. 
But uh, this is something very significant in the uh, history of of the uh, believing church. And he says uh, the next thing is the revealing of the lawless one, the one that we have uh, uh, examined before, this this leader of the revived Roman Empire, the rebooted version of uh, whatever that means, uh, and that uh, he is going to uh, take on a title. John calls him the Antichrist, even though John acknowledges that there will be many Antichrists, and there already were, even in the first century. Just like uh, uh, Paul said this, uh, there's lawlessness already, but the man of lawlessness has not been revealed yet, uh, because that is a his- an historical event that uh, has not yet taken place. And of course, he is ultimately uh, not only going to come into the world stage, but he will present himself in his in his own career, um, uh, not only as a peacemaker, but later on as a miracle worker, later on even as uh, a replacement for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a replacement for Jesus Christ. And he's in fact called in the New Testament the Antichrist. And um, and he's going to take his seat in the temple of God. And, and yet God will one day judge him for that audacity, that blasphemous uh, work of idolatry of setting himself up in the temple, in the Jewish temple, in the Jewish uh, holy of holies. Uh, it may not be a, a concrete structure or a, uh, a stone structure or even a wood structure. It may actually be just a revival of a tent structure, a tabernacle, uh, again, erected on uh, on Temple Mount. We don't know exactly what shape it may take, but there will be a holy place and And this person, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, Paul calls him, he will take his seat there in the Holy of Holies. And uh, so uh, until that happens, we can be uh, pretty assured that we're not yet living in the day of the Lord. And that's the whole point that Paul is writing this letter, is to help the believers discern the times, you might say, in which they live, that uh, we are awaiting something else. We are awaiting our gathering together unto him. And then uh, uh, then we will see from heaven the very things that Paul is warning us about or warning the uh, the inhabitants of the earth about uh, and that is the revealing of the son of uh, son of destruction and uh, then the revealing of the son of man when he returns finally in the meantime you see Daniel even hinted at this in in uh, Daniel chapter 9 and uh, verse uh, uh, 26 and 27, uh, Daniel hinted at the fact that that between the Messiah, the prince, being uh, officially presented to the nation of Israel, being rejected, and uh, his return, his revealing, that final uh, seven-year period that, that the Antichrist signs this contract with the nation of Israel, this treaty, this uh, agreement with the, the, uh, the people of the Jewish people, and uh, when he does so, that will kick off this this final uh, seven-year period. But in the meantime, there are at least two events that even Daniel revealed to us, even though we didn't get a clear picture of everything. Uh, we do know that uh, between the Messiah being presented and uh, being there, he, that he would be cut off and have nothing, we see that as the historical work of the cross. Then the city and the sanctuary will be destroyed by 
by the Roman Empire, which exactly did happen, even though uh, the the man of lawlessness had not yet been revealed. Uh, Titus was not him. Uh, even though he was the one who destroyed the temple, he didn't defile the temple by setting himself up as an idol in the Holy of Holies. He merely, merely dismantled the temple and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And uh, that was a horrible thing. Don't get me wrong. But it was not this, the kind of action that uh, is characterized by the Antichrist who will take his seat in the Holy of Holies and uh, and make himself out to be superior to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to make himself a replacement to, uh, to the Messiah, uh, to Jesus the Messiah. So then Paul, after that, uh, gets into chapter 3. What kind of life uh, should the believers begin to live because of this anticipation? In other words, we're, we're living in this gap, you might say, this invisible gap. As far as the Old Testament is concerned, it wasn't revealed uh, to, the old, uh, to the Old Testament prophets because the, the Old Testament prophets were dealing with primarily the, uh, the Gentile nations surrounding Israel as well as the Jewish people and the nation of Israel and the uh, the nation of Judah and uh, the city of Jerusalem. It was all dealing with the Jewish people and the Gentile nations around her. And in many regards, that's exactly where God will resume his work on earth is with the Jewish people and with the Gentile nations when, when uh, the, the, the Messiah will be revealed once again and will bring judgment to the man of law the son of destruction. So, in the meantime, in this gap in which we're living between uh, between the first 483 years of Daniel chapter 9 and the final seven years of Daniel chapter 9, uh, we have this responsibility to live out our life in responsible ways. And that means... Uh, Working, working for a living, earning a wage, earning a living, uh, 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 providing for ourselves and for our family and for for the congregation at large, for the poor and for the widows, and that that includes working with our hands, according to uh, one passage. But uh, there are there are lots of jobs you might say that uh, do not involve our hands, and yet uh, 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 many jobs do, and and that's the point is that we are to be responsible for our own work, for our own living, for our own bread, for the, our own roof over our own house. That is the, the responsibilities we are to take. Even during this time of Jesus's absence, uh, we live our lives in what you might call a fairly normal way, uh, even though we are anticipating his return one day. And uh, we are definitely anticipating our gathering together back to him. And regardless of the timing, that is still the focus of our attention and our emotions and our uh, next event that we have to experience is being caught up 
into the presence of Jesus Christ, and then we will return with him at the end of that seven years when he judges the rest of the earth, the, the, uh, the Jewish nation as well as the Gentile nations, and we will be with him when he returns and sets his feet on Mount of Olives, and it will split in two, and there will be a new river formed, a new, uh, a new source of water, and it will flow in both directions according to the prophecies of uh, Zechariah and others. And so we know and are confident that regardless of what we experience here on earth, we know that we are living a part of something that's going to play out in the future in which God will take care of his people and he will deal out retribution to those who persecuted us eventually. Uh, we may not see it in our lifetime, but we can be assured and we can continue to work and do our jobs and feed our families according to the power that he gives us. And we thank him for what he has done in us to assure our hearts and to keep us in his grip. Father, thank you for these words today. Thank you, Father, for this small book with such a great impact on giving us a vision of who we are in Christ. And we anticipate that one day we will look upon his face. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and those who are already in the grave, who are believers, they will be changed and they will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the air. And so comfort one another with these words. Thank you, Father, for all you've done and all you are about to do. We pray for your patience and your contentment and your calm in our spirit as you work your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock. <laughs>